The Tenth Collective is an initiative from Revision Path and State of Black Design created to help connect black designers searching for their next opportunity with the companies that want to hire them. So if you're a black designer and you're looking for a new job, go to thetenthcollective.com to sign up for free or check out the link in the show notes. Speaking of jobs, Revision Path's job board is part of the Tenth Collective, and you can go there to browse job listings, post your own job listings, and sign up for email updates when new job listings are posted. This week on the job board, Design B&B is looking for a designer in Chicago, Illinois. Peak Design is looking for two roles for their San Francisco office, an assistant product developer and a mechanical design engineer. For more information on these listings, including DEI statements, qualifications, salary, and more, visit revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. We're here to help you find your next big opportunity today. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Revision Path. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Maurice Cherry. Revision Path is supported by Brevity & Wit. Brevity & Wit is a strategy and design firm committed to designing a more inclusive and equitable world. They're always looking to expand their roster of freelance design consultants in the U.S., particularly brand strategists, copywriters, graphic designers, and web developers. If you know how to deliver excellent creative work reliably and enjoy the autonomy of a virtual-based freelance life with no non-competes, check them out at brevityandwit.com. Brevity and Wit, creative excellence without the grind. For 10 years, Revision Path has been dedicated to showcasing black designers and creatives from all over the world. In order to keep bringing you the content that you love, we need your support now more than ever. If you're in a position to help us grow, here's how you can contribute. Visit revisionpath.com forward slash donate and click the donate button there to make a one-time, monthly, or annual donation to help keep Revision Path running strong. Thanks for your support. Now for this week's interview. I'm talking with Breon Waters II. Breon is a senior product designer at Depth in Los Angeles, California, who designs across both digital and the real world. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. Hi, I'm Breon Waters II. By day, I'm a senior product designer at an agency called Depth. By a later part of the day, excuse me, I'm the founder of Holiday Free Of, a company that creates weird but memorable experiences that merge print and augmented reality. Now, I remember when we met a few years ago, you were sending out these letterpress Christmas cards. That's where Holiday Free Of sort of grew out of, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. It started back when I graduated from Art Center, so back in 2011, which is wild to think it's been that long. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It was just way of basically, you know... A way like back in before times, you know, having in-person meetings, interviews and having a leap behind something for people that I was doing interviews with to remember me, hopefully help me get a job. I'm not exactly sure how the hell I thought of Christmas cards. The whole idea is about it's being not about Christmas. So it's a holiday free of these weird things happening for me. I think the first one was 
wishing a holiday free of a Christmas tree filled with renegade ninja squirrels. So really kind of the out the wall, bizarre things, but really showing my personality, but also give me a chance to really do the type of things I'm going to do creatively and really just get out of my comfort zone. The cards are, are great. I have the one that you sent me last year right here by my desk. It's like, it's great, really thick paper stock, of course, because it's letterpress. And it's so fun to interact with. It's really a great idea. Oh, thank you. I'm glad like that people don't just think I'm like some weirdo and just people actually enjoy it and not just me like, laughing like a little schoolgirl while I make these. So I really appreciate <laughs> it. So how has the year been going so far? How's 2023 been treating you? It's been fast. Like, I know I'm not the only one, but it seems unimaginable that we're basically almost, I guess, a, about a quarter of the way done with the year already. Um, yeah. My son just turned two. My daughter's about to turn five. I'm going to turn 40 next month. So just like a whole lot of just like milestones are happening. But wow. like, yeah, definitely like blessed. Things could have definitely been worse in the pandemic. But thankfully, like, you know, we have a roof over our head. Haven't really had to like have much pain or strife or whatnot. But um, all is good, you know, just working and then trying to actually launch holiday free of this year. So that's my um, my third baby, if you will, is just seeing like if there's a market for that. I definitely think there's a, a market for that. I mean, it's funny. I think about the last place where I worked and one of the things that I was helping them with was sort of getting together their swag. Cause you know, people think of tech startups. They think of, you know, t-shirts or maybe some little glossy pamphlet that you might get at a trade show and that you'll throw away later. I find a lot of tech startups like SaaS companies, et cetera, are always looking for unique merch. So at the at the last place I was at, I know we were looking at socks. We were looking at custom like one by one keycaps for mechanical keyboards. I think those cards could be great. And I, I say this also because we did dabble in doing some print. We did like a legit print magazine. That could be that could be something great if you want to tap into that, like the swag market, doing right. custom AR letterpress cards for companies. That'd be great. That could be a, a good way to, to do it. No, thank you for that, Maurice. I'll definitely keep that in mind because that's a damn good idea. So let's <laughs> save on to that one for sure. How do you sort of come up with the ideas for the card? I know you mentioned, you know, the name of it being Holiday Free Of. Do you keep a running list of stuff? Yeah, it's, it kind of always happens last minute, unfortunately. I think maybe one year I was I had the idea done maybe by like September. But last year I was basically working on the design in November, a couple of weeks before Thanksgiving. And really just, I have sketchbooks since starting design in college and I keep on to them and just kind of writing weird stuff. And sometimes, I think actually for this year's, I was looking back at a sketchbook that was a couple of years ago and just the idea of rock, paper, scissors. It was like, huh, there's mm. something kind of interesting there. You know, it starts with a theme and just trying to figure out, okay, like what's the story from that theme? And I can't reveal the story fully yet, but... You know, it's pulling inspiration from old school wrestling posters, you know, like boxing posters, hat show print type posters and things like that for source inspiration. I remember just being a kid too, watching like old school WWF back in the day, you know, just like taking those memories and like what would happen if like that kind of fell in this world. Nice. I could see something like that. That could be pretty fun. I was lucky to get a really talented 3D animator and illustrator Lubo, uh, Mr. Lubo Designs, to collaborate with him and just really took my silly idea and really made it possible because I wasn't sure 
if I could even make it like move with animation. A lot of thoughts would be static. He was able to make it move and just it it just knocked it out the park. Really proud of it. So let's talk about depth, which is uh the agency where you work at. You're working there as a senior product designer. Tell me mm-hmm. a little bit about your work and how you found out about them. So it's funny. I started working. Well, when I joined them, they were called Rocket Insights. They were acquired by Dept. I think like five or four years ago. But then last year, we're officially known as the Digital Products U.S. arm of Dept. So we basically design digital products for um, Dept on the state side here. And how I found them actually was reached out. I forgot the name of the actual site, but it was like, you know, there's job placing sites for recruiters, right? But this one was basically by AI. And so I was working actually with another East Coast agency, funny enough, and I left and got approached by Dept and the rest of the history. I'll be working with them two years in April. Nice. Congratulations. Thank you. What does a kind of typical day look like for you? There's not really a typical day. It depends on. So we're kind of weird where we're an agency. We work as consultants, but depending on the client, we could really be almost working an in-house counterpart to their company. So right now I've been working with FIFA for um, NFT projects back. I joined it in November, right before the World Cup started, which is like the most the craziest time to join a project, but also learned a ton, though, too. Because the project was going on way before that, you know, in preparations for like all that goes into World Cups and big events like that. So for this, basically, there's two designers, a team of developers and RN and a project manager. And we have two different clients on behalf of the other side and really just kind of like working on them for like new features, figuring out what are things need to be included. One big push is, you know, the Women's World Cup is coming up this year. And so we're working on initiatives and features specifically for that. So that's been basically the start of this year has been all focused on designing for the Women's World Cup for this. Now, you mentioned the team. Are you sort of working between different clients or do you just focus on one client for that specific project? Yeah, it's been one. Thankfully, it's just been one client. Like in the past, I've had multiple clients. I'm trying to think back. Actually, before this project, I was on a design sprint and we're working with a mom and pop jewelry that's looking to explore NFTs and really seeing if they were to decide to design or excuse me, design to like decide to create something within NFT world. Would Mm -hmm. it make sense? Like, What would it be? Is there a market for it? Who would it be for? And so that was basically a two week sprint, just kind of along with the client, learning what the hell NFTs are, like what they're <laughs> about, what's Web3, and really just like talking with them and potential users, just seeing what makes sense for them, what's the story to tell, like what would be their version of NFT. And it was really eye-opening just because NFT is a real buzzword now. You hear like the CryptoPunks and Tiffany's collab that made like millions of dollars and people think, oh, you know, it's so easy, I'll do that. But every artist wants to be Picasso or insert famous or Basquiat, right? But there's how many different artists and how many Basquiat's. It's not, it's not the same. It's not as easy as that. So it's really all about value. How do you really show yeah. that people should care or, or buy what you're selling? This might be a, an odd question to ask, but do people still care about NFTs? I mean, I asked this because like a year ago, 
I swear you were seeing success stories about NFTs and mm-hmm. Adidas was making NFTs and people were designing NFTs and making all this money. And now it's like you barely hear about NFTs. Are that they fallen out of out of favor? Right. No, I think there's something to that. Even just like remember last year, the Super Bowl is like everything about crypto, right? And yeah, all those companies basically are kind of bankrupt or out of work. I think there still is, but I think we're still so early in NFTs and like Web3 that it's kind of like looking back in like the first websites, right? Where it's just like wild, wild west, like crazy colors, rainbows everywhere, but like it's kind of matured. And I guess the trails of social media were there before, but it's more Mm -hmm. matured now. And even still trying to figure out what that's going to be moving on forward. I think it's kind of same for NFTs. NBA Top Shot is still popular, but... It's weird, though, right, where it's like you watch a game, you know, it's copyrighted by ESPN or Fox, insert whatever big broadcasting company. And so it's not even really clear. They own the rights to play it. So how does it work? You owning a highlight? Like, I'm not sure exactly how that works. But even that workshop I mentioned earlier, they mentioned NFTs as for like buying houses or for like even for like the contract sides for like, you know, if you're working with artists and like having basically, you know, Web3 big word but basically it's contracts are receipts right so basically Mm -hmm. capturing from the first person that bought it to fast forward endless in the future and so something like that that's not like big and exciting and sexy as a john morant nft but i think something that's transaction based like that could be a huge thing for it but like we're still early for it yeah i still don't know if nfts i don't know i don't think they've really penetrated the mainstream yet like i know why brands are jumping on it now it's all about that perceived value right like just like folks were really bang on about the metaverse a year and a half ago and stuff i think people probably still are but not to the fervor that it was back then i attended a conference when was this was this in 2020 might have been 2021 i attended a conference about the metaverse in the metaverse like i like I, i like i have a meta quest one of those helmet things or whatever it was an interesting conference. There were some sessions that were, I don't know if it was intentionally supposed to be that hokey and sales pitchy. Like there was one where this guy had bought some virtual real estate inside of the metaverse during a talk. He bought like a 800 square foot piece of land for like, I don't know, like $10,000 or something like that. Probably more than that. 25000 That's what it was. He bought it for $25,000. And I'm like, Why? <laughs> it only exists in this particular metaverse subdivision, which is like the best way that I could put it, because there's still a big interoperability problem with the metaverse. And I think this sort of extends to NFTs, too, where like, yeah, you can use an NFT maybe in Horizon World, but can you use it in Solana World or can you use it in another metaverse? Like, are you really able right. to like take it with you? But speaking of things to take with you. After the conference, they gave us an NFT. Oh. <laughs> they like sent us an email. They're like, oh, here's your NFT. And then they're like, this is how you claim it. Get your hardware wallet and do this, this, and this. I was like, I'm not doing that. Uh, <laughs> First of all, I have no idea what that is. I don't like, do I, have to, do I have to buy that? What is, it's all good. I'll just tell people I went. It's not that big a deal. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like, uh, I imagine it wasn't the same as an actual intending a conference in real life. It doesn't seem like it's on par with that. Yeah, like you attend the conference in real life, you get a badge. You know, like I I keep all my conference badges. Like you get something like that. But this was something called a POAP, Proof of Attendance 
picture or something like that. Uh, I'm like, is this like a four square badge? Like, what do I do with this? Like, I, like, I don't know what it means for me to have that or how to obtain it or why it's useful. So I think I let it lapse because they kept sending me emails like, don't forget to claim your NFT. I was like, I don't know how, nor do I care. But thanks. That's a, that's a bad sign of the gift when you have to repeatedly ask the person, hey, you want to open the gift? Hey, you want to open the gift? So, yeah, there's a- <laughs> but I, I, think it's, I think it's cool, though, that you get to work with these sort of new technologies with clients. So then you, you know, as an individual, get to find a way to sort of get your own understanding around it. Yeah, definitely. Even um, Dept, our CEO, Demi, there's been a huge push and they're all in for like all things Web3 and AI. Just like you say, like kind of being at the forefront where, of course, there's a lot, just like the experience you mentioned for the conference where it's not the greatest, but for the ones that do figure it out early on and like having, being able to well-versed to kind of really design and tell stories within this, it's really will be a huge thing, but just Early on, it's going to be really rough and wacky and a lot of bad things are hopefully not bad things, but bad experiences happening. But yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at the at the depth website now. You all have like a Web3 division. It says Mm -hmm. with a global team of over 300 specialists, including solidity engineers, ethicists, economists and game designers. We have been building for Web3 and the metaverse since 2015. Our pioneering work is fueled by patented and proprietary technology. Okay. I didn't know the Web3 was a thing in 2015, but that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not doubting y'all. I'm just saying. I'm, I'm looking through it like, okay, that's cool. I agree. I'm not <laughs> <laughs> What would you say is like the most satisfying thing about what you do? I think really it's going to sound sappy or cheesy, but like when a client comes and, you know, they have an issue or they're working on something not sure of, it's a really good feeling of helping people like actualize, not their dreams, like that's too big and broad, but helping them get past their hurdle or their issue, their problem. I think that's really cool. Like even for things like design sprints, where on day one, you have this big issue, you don't know what the hell you're going to do. It's like a whole mystery. And day by day, everybody's learning from it. And on that Friday, just like you do five user tests and just learn so much. And just that feeling of going from not knowing to like, hey, you know, there's some validity here. That's really a good feeling. So Hmm. how do you sort of approach that process of like designing a new product or a new feature like i know you've mentioned the team that you usually are working with but what does that process look like it definitely varies on what we're doing but a lot of times we have a lot of really talented strategists that during the sprints doing the work together with us or sometimes doing it before our project or our phase of the project starts it's really getting insights from that and i think sounds cheesy again but like some of the biggest skill sets for designers not just product designers, but designers in general, just listening, you know, and just asking questions, you know, just trying to learn as much as you can from your client. You know, they know it better than you do, but they're coming to you for your expertise to actually how to visualize and build this. So, and a lot of times too, you know, people aren't able to really say what they're trying to say and kind of be able to decipher between that, like what are they really trying to say? And, you know, even user testing, talk with users, really kind of listening, paying attention, getting out the way and seeing what they're doing and kind of taking all that together and helping it to inform your designs. Let's learn a little bit more about 
you about how you got to where you are now. You're originally from California. Is that right? Yep. A city called Rialto, California. Rialto. Uh, Where's that? So that's in the Inland Empire. I like to say, if you've seen um, Friday After Next, it's where Day Day and his dad moved to Rancho Cucamonga. So next door to that. Okay. All right. So outside of, of LA, but it's a it's a good good bit of not quite a suburb, I would say, right? Right. It's not quite the desert, but desert adjacent. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's a big bunch of different cities where basically you'll go through it if you drive to Palm Springs or if you're looking to drive through Vegas, you'll have to go through it, at least from going through LA. So Okay. What was it like growing up there? It was cool. Like I loved it, you know. Basically, imagine like most kids, you know, you play out in the streets playing like tag or football, basketball, hide and go seek and whatnot, where basically once the (laughs) it's old school, but like once the lights or the street lights came on, okay, you're ripping your ass inside (laughs) before you get in trouble. Um, (laughs) But yeah, just having friends around the neighborhood, just hanging out there. Is that sort of when you first got exposed to a lot of like design and art and stuff? Thinking back, the first designer art was from my dad. And he wasn't um, a classically trained artist or anything. But I remember growing up, there's a big portrait of my mom he painted. And there's also, he did some different scratch board pieces that are hanging up. And just always remember seeing them as a kid. And so I'd always see that. And just, I was always sketching stuff. My dream was playing, being a baseball player and designing airplanes, which are a perfect pair, right? <laughs> so I was always draw that and just when i was like in middle school you know back when you would um take shopping paper bags and wrap them around your books i would draw Jimi hendrix and like baseball players on it so it's never really like blatantly had someone as a kid say hey this is designer art but from that my dad like really artistic and drawing like that's where like really got my first dose of it or dose is the wrong word but first learned about it yeah and so you kept kind of with that imagination of drawing and and getting into it enough to the point where you decided you wanted to study it in college. I'm curious about this. I know we talked about this a little bit before recording, but you went to college in North Dakota, which is, I mean, it's not far from California, but you got to tell me it's far. Okay. Okay. (laughs) I mean, I'm thinking like it's not on the other coast, but what brought that on? You went to Minot State University. That's in North Dakota, like near the Canadian border. So you're up there. Yes, sir. Why? <laughs> what brought you to Minot? You sound like you're my therapist, which I don't have, Maurice. So maybe I should have you be my therapist. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, young Brian thought he was going to be a major league baseball player, played okay. first base for the Angels. And so I was just hell bent on playing baseball. After high school, I went to Cal Poly Pomona, which is a really good college for different engineering disciplines and especially aerospace. It's in Pomona, California, actually not far from where folks live. So I was there, you know, and excited to be in college. But well, I didn't just learn then, but like I was terrible in math. You know, like I forget equations, especially on finals day. When you move into the senior level classes, you do really cool stuff. They have partnerships with Boeing, like working on like airplanes and different things like that. Like I imagine now they're probably working on drones and stuff. But like I was bad at math. I thought, okay, I'm going to play baseball there. I tried walking on and tried out for the team two years and didn't make it. But I was still, you know, the desire to play baseball, wanted to do that. And it was funny. um, A family friend of ours was working in the career center at the time. 
And she had me do a career placement test, you know, where you like answer a series of questions after whatever you pick. It's kind of like, hey, you should do this or hey, you should do this. Mm-hmm. And so one of the results was graphic design. I was like, huh, you know, like I never really heard about that. Like I took some of the art classes in high school, but didn't really think too much of it. And so after that, it's like, okay, I'm going to switch to graphic design, but I still want to play baseball. So I looked online and looked for t- colleges that had a baseball team and graphic design programs and just emailed a bunch of their coaches and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And I heard back from Minot State University and a school, Morningside College in Sioux, Sioux City, Iowa, or, or Sioux Falls, Iowa? Uh, Sioux, so, yeah, Iowa's Sioux City. I think Sioux Falls is in North Dakota. Okay, thank you. So Sioux City, Iowa. And so my my mom, God bless her heart, <laughs> I told my my mom and dad, like, I was going to major in aerospace engineering, and you're paying for college. So, yeah, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go move to the Midwest and play baseball and do graphic design. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's like oversold my dad, but my mom is just, and I get that too, my dad. You know, you want your kid to be having something secure, you know, like not the whole starving artist kind of like visualization. So I definitely get that now being a dad. But like my mom was really just supportive. Like, okay, yep, we're going to do this. And so... We flew out to Minot State. I visited the school, tried out, and then we rented the car and we drove from Minot to Sioux City, Iowa. <laughs> tried out there too. And it just so happened where I got a chance to meet the team in Minot. It was during their tournament days and just like hit it off with them and just wanted to be a part of it. And yeah, that was how I went to um, being from California to moving to North Dakota, never having seen snow in my life and being in blizzards there. So. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, of course, weather-wise, that's wild. But, I mean, baseball and graphic design, that would have been an interesting kind of Venn diagram intersection. Yeah, and it doesn't make sense either, right? Where it's baseball's one of the best spots for, or California, excuse me, is one of the best parts for baseball. And I moved from there to North Dakota, which is not known for baseball. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, on uh, hindsight, not the wisest decision, but it did lead me towards that graphic design path. So I'm grateful for that. And that was the right path for me. Yeah. So while you were at Minot, you studied art. You focused on graphic design and marketing as well. Like, mm-hmm. how was your time there? Do you feel like you got a good foundation as a designer? Yeah, I think it was good entry-level way, whereas like I actually was playing baseball there. I couldn't play my senior year, which was at the time devastating, but it really worked out because I actually did my own senior solo show instead of like, I wouldn't have been possible at all if I was playing baseball. So basically there, it's like they kind of introduce you. You have a class on um, typography, photography. I forgot what level of Photoshop or Illustrator it was, but it was it was back when you know you had the kind of like fifties looking MacBooks or not? Oh MacBooks, yeah, yeah. So that was the kind of time of that. So it did give me that sense, but I think it, one of the best part was kind of like the art side. I remember um, a really like I had a lot of good professors there. Bill and Walter Peel was really amazing. To, uh, where he does like these really amazing abstract rodeo paintings. And I remember he was the first person to put me on to Basquiat. It's like, you know, you should check out this artist. And really just like was amazed, of course, rightfully so. Like Basquiat was an amazing artist. But I think that being an artist, like getting your hands dirty, the first time doing like screen printing and stuff like that, I think looking back, it did kind of set a foundation of having that kind of like different approach to things. What position did you play? I was first base, but didn't hit a lot of home runs and couldn't hit a curveball to save my life. So, 
I don't know that. I think that's just really cool that you were able to kind of pursue this design degree and you were effectively also a college athlete. Like we've had, I mean, we've had college athletes and designers on here before, maybe not at that exact intersection. That's pretty unique. I mean, out of the hundreds of interviews I've done, you are the first one I can say that like has done baseball and graphic design. So that's pretty cool. Oh, thank you for that. Yeah, it was, it was NAIA, which is basically like Division Two. Um, mm-hmm. But one cool thing, though, is that we actually did play in spring before we started league play. We played in the Metrodome. Like it's, um, they knocked it down years ago to build like the new arena where the Vikings play. But playing in the Major League Baseball team was cool. So that was really like something I'll keep with me for the rest of my life. So even though we got destroyed and <laughs> we actually were playing wood bats for the first time. So we we're playing wood bats against metal bats. So as you can imagine, we lost and didn't work out so well. But it was still fun, though. Yeah. And I mean, I've met you. You're tall. So like it helps to be tall as a first baseman. Right. Yeah. No, it definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so after you graduated, did you stay in North Dakota what was the game plan after that? Oh, no. Like, once I graduated, I got a U-Haul. And I, <laughs> <laughs> I had a truck in at the time, put all my stuff there, and drove back. And, yeah, like, I was moved back home to my folks and just trying to, like, get a job. But, like, found that it was really hard to actually find a job. I actually couldn't find a job. When I was in Minot, I first heard about AIJ and spent a lot of time in Minneapolis for it and just mm. like love the city there. So like I think I went to my first portfolio show there. And so, you know, OK, I'm going to go to a portfolio show. I went to one at USC at the time, and I believe Ed Fellow was the actual speaker at the time, like does amazing work. And mm-hmm. I remember when I went, was getting my book reviewed, excuse me, and one of the persons there was like, you know, you really need to go to a place that's going to teach you design. You're like, if you develop that eye for design, and he mentioned a couple of different design schools, and so I researched it and was thinking about, I think, actually Creative Circus and Portfolio Center. But I actually got reached. I think I got like a booklet or something from Art Center. And funny, like living in Rialto, never actually heard of it before that time. And just went to the visit the camp and was like fell in love, you know, where they have the bridge. just like this 1950s style architecture and just all the amazing work that students did there. And I was like, OK, yeah, I want to be here. Decided to attend Art Center. Yeah, Art Center out in uh, in Pasadena. It's a beautiful campus. I've been there once. I know the bridge that you're talking about, though. Yeah, it's it's weird now, though, like where they actually have bought. So there's South Campus in South Pasadena. And so like a lot of like I think graphic design has a big building there, illustration. So there's still stuff on the bridge, the hillside campus, but not as much as it used to be. But mm-hmm. still like really talented folks go there. How was Art Center different from Minot? Like, did you feel like because you had that four-year education already that it was it was easy? No, I had. <laughs> I wasn't for a short time. Wasn't sure. Like, was really intimidating. You know, where it's, I remember in my initial class, people whose parents were designers had done designs, like had their own like T-shirt companies and stuff like that. So. I'm sure like most folks, you have like imposter syndrome in your life and you're like, oh, you know, like, how am I going to cut it? But one of like a God blessings was or a blessing was um, Jay Chapman is the creative, a creativity coach there. And just like I will always be in debt and love Jay for the rest of my life. Just an awesome person. And just he's really all about just helping you get out your way and have a sense of play in your work. And, you know, just like would visit him at the time. I remember would visit him for a project 
and just it clicked for you know just like you think of art center it's great design but it's kind of it could be kind of stuffy i guess in a way you know i think like ball house you know it's like really kind of beautiful design but sometimes it's you know can inject some life into it yeah so jay is like complete opposite right where it's art center this amazing school but like surrounded by a bunch a bunch of um rich houses and you basically most folks just stay on there and design and like work and kind of work and kind of stress out and not where you have la and all the different cultures and cities within that make up la right around you but don't even experience it so really just enjoying life and experiencing different things and injecting that into your work like once from that just like really did that and that really helped open the doors for me there just really okay you know it's not worrying about others story but like what are my experiences like what does my perspective look like and really just like going wild with that mm. so it sounds like the combination of minot and art center probably gave you like a much stronger foundation once you got out there and worked as a designer because of course you had the sort of foundational knowledge from minot but then as you mentioned with art center you're getting this learning about the sense of play as well as also probably learning about some different techniques and such that you didn't get from a four-year college that you're now getting at an arts college. So oh yeah, what was your early career like? Oh, like after Art Center? Uh, yeah. That's a great question. It's funny thinking back. So it's funny, you know, in design school, I'm sure it's it might be for the majors too. Like you're taught like basically it's the world's your oyster, right? Design can save the world and like work on these amazing projects. And mm-hmm. so... It was funny. My first actual project at Art Center, they have what's called, as part of your um your last day's speed dating. So different companies come to your your spot where you're presenting your work. Like basically, you're showing of like, hey, this is the work I'm proud of from my time at Art Center. Hire me. And so one of the people that did it was someone from Saputo Design, which is an agency in Westlake, LA, which or not Westlake, LA, but West California. Excuse me. And they were working, they're a small ad agency, and they were working on a pitch for um, K-Swiss. And I had some collage work in my portfolio from a project for my senior year. And they basically had me work on a freelance project with them for a little bit from that. So that was my actual first one. So that was cool, you know, just like, hey, you know, you like the stuff I did for class and able to use it for a pitch for a shoe company. So you kind of started out doing like visual design, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. After that, I was like there, moved on to another place where a professor worked and actually it was my first time being fired on the spot. And that was, Whoa. That was yeah, <laughs> I was there for at the course at the time. I was not laughing at all. I remember basically was working on um, a branding project. I forgot what I did, but made a mistake. And basically the person's like, yeah, you know, thank you for your time, but kindly pack up your things and go. Uh, mm. I'm that. So like, by the grace of God, I managed to say thank you, shake hands and head down to the lobby. And that's when I burst into tears. I remember like the um, security guard or someone down there like, you know, hey, are you OK? And just me just kind of like melting down, you know, where it's fresh out of the art center, have what, six figures and student loans. I'm still living with my parents. <laughs> and how am I going to tell my parents and also my girlfriend? But and my now wife at the time, girlfriend, that, hey, I got fired, just feeling, you know, a complete failure. But looking back, it's one of the best things that happened to me, just really because it really was my first lesson, a big lesson that there's no such thing as security, right? Like things would change in an instant, not in a way of being afraid of like, oh, this could be gone. But like there's some freedom of like, OK, you know, it's, this happened, but like I'm still surviving, you know, like I'm not 
this is not going to end me, you know, like it's not, yeah, it sucks right now, but like, I'm going to keep going forward. And that's definitely something that's really helped me along the way, just because it's tough finding a job at times, you know, like the world's design world, especially is really small. Yeah. It could seem like everything's kind of turning against you and like things aren't going to turn around, but like, if it's not like being any smarter, a talent makes you quote unquote successful, but just sticking in there, getting back up. And that's really helped me in my career. Yeah. And I'm I'm really glad you said that because I think designers now, particularly during this like wild period of layoffs that's happening in like not just the tech industry, but the design industry and others as well. I think it helps to just hear that when this sort of stuff happens, it's not the end of the world. It certainly can feel that way, but you have to find a way to sort of bounce back from it. And I think it also helps, you know, and maybe in this particular instance, like to know that you're not alone when this stuff happens. I mean, yes, it's the ending of one thing, but it also has the potential to open up into new opportunities that you can do. So, so after that happens, like, how did you sort of pull yourself out of that? So funny enough, you know, it's like you mentioned, you're not alone. And that was something that actually helped too. a friend of mine at Art Center, Megan, was working at a company called Guest, Guest Clothing Company. Mm-hmm. And so she mentioned me to her boss, Kiro. And basically, I forgot, like, it might have been like a month or two after that, you know, I'm wondering, like, what the hell's going to happen next? And Megan hits me up saying, you know, like, hey, would you want to work at Guest? And like, of course. <laughs> so, like, I actually ended up working there for a little bit. And I went on from there to Live Nation slash Ticketmaster and Hero's been a boss that, like, I've he attended my wedding, you know, like someone I consider a really good friend and kept in touch with and still keep in touch with now and just help them with advice. You know, it's really just like you never know when things are going to change, but like having those people around you that are rooting for you really helps you out. It may not happen exactly then, but like along the way, like in a, few, a little bit of time, things will really pan out, you know, where it's like, oh, okay, like I've actually worked with him at a different when he joined a different startup and, you know, was looking for work and, yep. Hey, everyone looking for work and hell yeah, I am. And so I joined that too. So it definitely could help later on. So for you kind of keeping that community in line is something that was really a good asset for you. Definitely. And like, I know I'm not alone in this too, where just, I hate asking for help and, you know, it's just being stubborn, right? Just, no, I'm going to do it myself, but like you need help. And like asking for help is not a sign of weakness. And I think one of the best things too is turning it forward when you actually are in a position to help people out, be able to do that too. So so what inspired you to pursue product design? I mean, you you were doing visual design, and I see just kind of from looking at your LinkedIn, you did UI, UX design. What brought you to product? So back when I was at Art Center, you know, there weren't product design classes, or at least not for what it, we mainly consider it now. Like product design, as I knew it then, was basically, you know, it's like designing shoes or like physical products or physical objects. So I was actually... The specialization was in branding. So basically the idea of once you know you do your research and your strategy and figuring out who you're designing for, you can design whatever the hell you want to design, whether that's a logo, traditional stationary assets, things like that, or packaging websites, you name it. So it wasn't until I was working out in the field. I worked at Ticketmaster for about a year and just wanted to move to the Bay where, you know, like it still is like that now, but it's kind of awesome design places kind of like starbucks there's one on every block pretty much and just wanted to really make try to make a name for myself in the bay and so moved there you know first learned about ui and then ux design and then later product design and it was really from a 
a point of trying to have more ownership in the project where um, I went to the place, but I was working as a UI designer. And it was the first time, like once I moved back down to LA after a couple of years and just like, it was the first time in my career where it just basically felt like it was a complete wrong fit. Like the team, like the design team overall was nice, you know, friendly and whatnot, but the actual team I was working on seemed like basically didn't really care, value my contributions to the team. And also from like the company standpoint, the things we're working on were basically kind of like a step right at that step shot of the company. We're not really having the funding or developmental talent to work on what we're doing. It was basically like that where I was working as a UI designer, but basically just it's like, okay, the UX person does the UX, does user testing, focus, all that stuff, does even some mock-ups. And okay, okay, here you go, Brian, make it look pretty. And just like not what I got into design for. So I ended up leaving and I did an online class, General Assembly on product design or UX design rather. And just want to see like, is this something I do? You know, and just, I had worked alongside some in-house teams, like really great um, UX teams, UX designers, and learned a lot during that. And, you know, just like really found out like this is all stuff that I could do, you know, just all the things I took from them and just be able to apply it from there. And so I did that online course. It was basically like a month long. And after that, Hero, my boss from guest earlier in the years, actually reached out because he had moved to the Flex company as um a creative director there and is looking to build a design team there. And so he hit me up and that was actually my first uh, UI like product design type role after that general assembly class. So it kind of all snowballed there. Whereas I was working there, you know, really great company. They're really small, tight knit, got to know the head of marketing, Maytal there, a really great person. And she put me on to um, someone who she knew who was an entrepreneur was, has its own company is looking to actually rebrand the logo, the website, and app. And so that was like another project where actually applying what I applied from that general assembly class to that. So kind of all just unbeknownst to me at the time, kind of lit and connected to each other and just kind of like slowly but surely evolving to being able to apply what I was looking to do. And now that you've been working, you know, as a senior product designer at Depth and you've been doing this work, do you feel like it's been a natural evolution of your skills over the years? Yeah, I think so. Like, I'd say the biggest, there's things from the branding side I definitely take in. As a product designer, you have des- design patterns you leverage, right? So think about, you know, it's you open up your smartphone, buttons typically look the same, right? Or different interactions or kind of like swiping and things like that, where they make sense because they there's something we're all used to or trained to use, but there's still a lot of design a lot of digital products look the same. You know, if it's, you cover up a logo, it's kind of hard to tell what's what. And so I think from the branding side, that's where it's a chance to inject personality and experience into things, like not sacrificing the overall experience from a usability standpoint, but from a personality standpoint, like how can you make an experience that really feels like this? So it's if you think of like Apple products, right, where it's if it's opening up your iPhone, the physical packaging to it, or looking at your iPhone, or looking at the website, or looking at things like that. Like it all, it's different things, but it all feels the same. It feels like an overall same experience. So like that kind of idea to it. Mm. Now looking ahead, how do you see the field evolving in the years to come? That's a good question. I think rightfully so, there is some hesitation or the sky is falling in there with like, you know, chat GPT, or we're talking about like AI before where those things are real, but like thinking about it, having read some stuff, it kind of seems like that's the natural order of things. So it's like, I imagine designers before 
we're working with the hands like calligraphers, right? And you have the setting presses, type presses. We're kind of the same thing for that. Like, oh no, like what's going to happen for us? And then after that, fast forward to like the computer. And so like thinking that same thing too. But it seems like all those things, yeah, they did take away some jobs, but it seems like the bulk of the jobs they took away were things or actions that you don't like to do, like the kind of more repetitive things. Mm-hmm. Where it feels like more of these kind of being like our assistants of sorts, or maybe like if it's for chat GPT, or <laughs> chat GPT, it's like, I know I use it for coming up with ideas for like copy for like the website for holiday freedom generating for copy. It's not a copywriter, but like at least it's not perfect, but having a place to start from or even kind of really kind of refining ideas I have. So like kind of like in that sense, like a way of almost, you know, like an old school ad idea of like the partners, you know, like you have like a copywriter or AD paired together. So like a team where it's like helping you kind of like generate ideas and kind of like work towards a common goal. Yeah, I use ChatGPT now kind of, and I, I mentioned this before we recorded, I kind of use it a bit like a writing partner. Mm-hmm. Like it's good to kind of give some prompts on some things and maybe help guide you in the right direction. But it's certainly not a magic bullet, although I right. know I, I feel like that's how the media is certainly reporting on it. They're sort of anthropomorphizing chat GPT and similar types of things like, oh, they can think, they can hallucinate. They can only do what they're trained on based on the data that we give them. That's just how it works. I mean, we taught rocks how to think and now we have computers. So what'd you expect? You know? <laughs> no, it's spot on where it's just, they could do things, but it's like the soul or what makes people people, that personality, it's like, at least not yet, it's not easily repeatable by our AI or machines. So yeah. at least we have that going for us. What is it that keeps you motivated and inspired these days? Really just like experiences. Like I think now it's when you typically think of a product designer, you think automatically like a phone or websites and apps and things like that. And that's great, but I'm more interested in things that kind of span mediums, you know, like going back to the cards with how do you create something that's an experience physically in your hands, but also digitally. But like it may be slightly different, but it carries along the actual same storyline you're trying to tell. So like things like that, you know, like things like AR and VR, like virtual reality, augmented reality. Like how do you really like create meaning- meaningful experiences with that? Like I think that's at this point in my career is really fascinating to me. Like how do you really just not so focus on the devices or the mediums, but more of these experiences or touch points for you? Mm-hmm. What is the best advice that you've been given about design? I probably want to say it's not even directly design related, but more of, and I'm not sure who I heard it from, but basically the point, you know, where it's like at one point in time, everybody was a novice or basically like no one has all the answers. And I Mm -hmm. think that's been really eye opening just because when you're coming up or just like moving to something new, you think, oh, okay, you know, like they may have their ish together right but a lot of times they don't or even like at one point they didn't even thinking about web3 or nfts and all that stuff where it's no one has all the answers for it so don't feel like you have to be a quote-unquote guru or so much experience to know what's going on there just having a sense of curiosity and like playing around asking questions eager really contribute to things so it's like there's not this one elite path to doing anything it seems like Mm. what do you appreciate the most about your life right now just my family, you know, it's it's while even thinking of being almost 40 and having a family and just, you know, you can have bad days and just like have things of being an adult, what makes being an adult tough, but like still hearing my, I'm still, my kids are still young enough where it's like, they'll call for me and like actually want to be around 
me and my wife, you know, I know that's going to change, especially when they're teenagers. But like, that's like the most awesome thing where just people super happy to see you and just that sheer look of happiness and just their laughter, their personality is so infectious too. And just that'll be the most, I love to create things. I'll create things till my last breath. My kids will be the, the most inspirational, best part of like something I had a slight or had a part of actually creating, you know. And so that's really a humbling and also a daunting challenge, but also just so rewarding, though, too. I mean, your kids are also at least the oldest one, probably you say the oldest one is five, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Are are they sort of or is, is uh, she at that age where she's interested? I want to say interested in design, but I feel like kids, just the way that we structure things for them, they have so much time and freedom to just play and do creative stuff like are you finding that she's into like painting and drawing and stuff like that yeah it's funny um she's my daughter essie and my son makai so essie is super in singing and dancing she loved to draw like she'll just almost if you know like jackson pollock work just like wild and chaotic with making marks and things like that but also like that freedom for it so I'm not really sure what she's going to do, but I think she'll be a lot better at it than I am just because just like how passionate she is and just loving to sing and dance and just like that freedom that she has. For my son, Makai, he's too, I'm not sure. He's like the Tasmanian devil. <laughs> he, may be, <laughs> he likes making like he loves books. So I think they'll do something maybe like in the creative world somehow or at least have those hobbies and things like that like i definitely won't pressure them to do that but i think there's something there that they have from like me which i got from my dad yeah you can sort of pass on the legacy of design in a way yeah we'll see like it's wild too like i wonder like will there be a point in time in their lives when they're older where they will they still be jobs you know just like how automated things are it seems it's not out the realm of possibility where it's these things called jobs aren't a part of our lives. But like, if that's the case, like what the hell is going to fill that? So Mm. I don't know. Where do you see yourself in the next five years? Like, like what kind of work do you want to be doing? I think in a perfect world, if holiday free of is something that catches on and not even just that, but like, I think to a point where just I could survive off of my weird ideas and creating experiences and building a team potentially around it or um actually in january last month go figure um i started teaching for the first time and um i had wanted for the longest time to teach and just like a dummy feeling oh you know i have to be at a certain level of my career to actually teach it doesn't make sense and it's been early but really get a lot of pleasure out of teaching really to see how it's a cheesy saying but just if you want to learn something teach and just like there's so much that you have to do and learn just to be able to like to know what the heck you're actually trying to teach, right? It's like how do you actually communicate your ideas and knowing enough to actually try to teach something, but knowing that you're not gonna know everything. So I'd love to do more of that and just really too like would like to be when I think about my career, like what I want to be ultimately, like I really think of like a conductor or just kind of having an idea but assembling talents to actually help them do their best to really, by helping to overall steer the goal for it. So when I was working like years ago, back in Minot on my senior art show, you know, like I first heard about Duke Ellington and like Count Basie, you know, it's like amazing talents, but like had these amazing bands built around them. And like now if you think of like Robert Glasper and like the work he's doing, you know, where it's, I'd love to do like something of that 
elk where it's maybe like me creating like my creative type avengers like me maybe like a nick fury type of person i guess potentially. Mm-hmm. yeah just like really designing different things you know even if it's not if it's more like a sociological type study or things like that really just like thinking about things or experiments and things like that the design avengers i could see that you could you could pull it off though. You could pull off Nick Fury with the eye patch. You could do it. Uh, luckily he doesn't have hair, right? So I got that. <laughs> well, just to wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more information about you, about your work and everything? Where can they find that online? So by the time this comes out, Holiday Free of will be out. So I'm launching that. So you can check out Holiday Free of on holidayfreeof.com. On Instagram, it's at holidayfreeof. For my personal portfolio, it's BrianWatersII.com. Personally on Instagram, but don't do it that much. But KarishmanPoliteManliness.com. And really just trying to do more things, really just more storytelling with that. So look out for some interesting things and experiments, explorations on Holiday Free Of. Sounds good. Brian Waters the second. I want to thank you so, so much for coming on the show. You know, like I mentioned at the top of the episode, uh, I think you had reached out to me several years ago and asked for my address because you wanted to send me a Christmas card. And I was right, like, yeah. I was like, yeah, sure. Go, go ahead and send me a Christmas card. And I mean, we've kept in touch since then. I've seen how your career has grown since then. And also, I think just hearing your story now and and seeing the path that you've taken to get here, you've always kind of struck me as someone that really kind of has their their eye on the prize. Like, you know what it is that you want to do and you're kind of steadily working and, and going towards that goal. So I could see in five years, like the cards really taking off and being a success. And uh, I just want to thank you so much for the work that you're doing, for continuing to blaze a trail in the industry and just for like being I mean, to somebody like me, you know, just being like a positive influence in the industry, family man, doing the work that you're doing. It's just good to see from this vantage point, somebody that's like really out there making their dreams happen. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. That means the world, Maurice. Thank you so much. And thank you for your platform. You know, like I was saying before, the work you and Cheryl Miller, all the different platforms that came out during 2020, like we're the black designers, like it's been a huge blessing just for us, just knowing like we're not alone, right? There's others like us, you know, and just thank you for giving us a platform to share our stories and connect. So thank you so much for it. Big, big thanks to Breon Waters II. And of course, thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Breon and his work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Revision Path is supported by Brevity and Wit. Brevity and Wit is a strategy and design firm committed to designing a more inclusive and equitable world. They're always looking to expand their roster of freelance design consultants in the U.S., particularly brand strategists, copywriters, graphic designers, and web developers. If you know how to deliver excellent creative work reliably and enjoy the autonomy of a virtual-based freelance life with no non-competes, check them out at brevityandwit.com. Brevity and Wit. Creative excellence without the grind. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio located in Atlanta, Georgia. Our executive producer is Maurice Cherry, and our editor and audio engineer is RJ Basilio. Intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre, with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. Transcripts are courtesy of Brevity and Wit. If you liked this episode, let us know. 
We're on Instagram and Twitter. Just search for Revision Path. It's all one word. Or you could follow us on Spotify. We're on Amazon Music. You could also leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. We haven't had one of those in a while. You could also leave us a message on our hotline at 626-603-0310. As always, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.